Thank you very much, ladies, for ministering in music. As we think about Christ, we think about his being on this earth, his death, his burial, his resurrection. I have a couple of questions, and I'm looking for a response on these questions, maybe a brief response. Where would the world be today without the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Christ? It wouldn't be. Any other response? Worse than it is. Any other response? We as Gentiles wouldn't be invited into the kingdom. No hope. No spirit. Probably still making sacrifices. Where would the body of Christ be today without the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus? Pardon? Wouldn't exist. We think about Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Very important as we reflect on living today and sensitivity to God. We've discussed the trial of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ. We spent several weeks discussing what is involved in it is finished. Today we want to turn to Mark chapter 15 and reflect briefly on the context of the burial of Christ A little on his resurrection, but more on his resurrection next week. But Mark chapter 15, I begin reading with verse 42. Mark 15 and verse 42. Jesus had been before the Sanhedrin. He had been before Pilate. Then we know that he was mocked and crucified. And he had died. Verse 42, it was a preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for, the, for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought some spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they went on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, 
Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mark concludes the account of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ with what we call a sandwich. He states something, he brings up something else, and he goes back to what was stated earlier. We know that the centurion had confessed, surely this man is the son of God. And then we find the women come on the scene, and they're somewhat hesitant. And there's a contrast between the women and what happens with Joseph of Arimathea. In 1540 and 41, you'll notice, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and Joes, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come, come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Then Mark goes to the burial of Jesus by Joseph of Arimathea in verses 42 through 46. And then we find the women again are brought up in verse 47 and in chapter 16. In 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joe saw where he had been laid. So they saw Joseph of Arimathea burying, Jesus putting him in the tomb. In chapter 16 and verse 1, we find that Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they go to the tomb to anoint his body. And we find that when they get there, there's concern who's going to roll the stone away from the tomb. And they find things a little different than they expected. The stone is already rolled away. And they're alarmed. But it told that Jesus had risen from the dead. And notice in verse 8, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We find the women saw where he was buried. Then the account of the burial of Joseph. And then we find the women again, the women being somewhat fearful as it relates to the resurrection. Joseph being somewhat bold in that he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. It's interesting to contrast the fact that the women were at the cross. The women saw where he was buried. The women came to the tomb. But again, fearful. Joseph, in contrast, is bold. 
As it relates to his burial, the text clearly states in verse 42, it was a preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath would be our Friday, the Sabbath being on Saturday in Jewish reckoning. would have been on our Friday. <clears throat> what is happening? Evening is approaching, according to verse 42. So Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, he's waiting for the kingdom. We'll come more on that later. He goes boldly to Pilate and asks for the body. Now remember certain things about crucifixion. Crucifixion played a central role in Roman terror apparatus. It was a Roman custom to allow criminals to hang in the cross until they decayed as a warning would to the would-be disobedient and rebellious slaves. So body on a cross to either gets picked apart by the birds or decays. If requested, however, their corpses might be handed over to relatives or friends for proper burial. The Jews, on the other hand, considered burial of the dead including the death of the bodies of their enemies, a ritual piety. According to Deuteronomy 21-23, a criminal executed for a capital offense, usually by stoning, was hung on a tree in disgrace, but he deserved to be removed before sunset. That was a Jewish mindset. The Jews took this commandment very, very seriously. Recounting a slaughter in Jerusalem, Josephus, a historian, testifies, and I quote, I do means actually went so far in their imp- impropriety as to cast out the corpses without burial, although the Jews are so careful about funeral rites that even male factors who had been sentenced to crucifixion are taken down and buried before sunset. End of quote. Joseph's behavior in this passage squares perfectly with the Jewish custom. Hasty internments, of course, ran the risk of burying someone who had not died. That is, they may not have died at this point on the cross. But we find that Jesus had died. We find that the man who is taking Jesus from the cross, it says in verse 43, is a prominent member of the council. He retrieves the body from Pilate to prevent further indignities for Jesus, already crucified with criminals. He was from The text would say of Arimathea, probably referring to Ramah, some 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem. It states that he was a prominent member of the council. It means he was honorable, he was respectable, and he was powerful in the council. And the council that it would be referring to would be the Sanhedrin. So we recognize that as Jesus is crucified, that not everyone apparently in the Sanhedrin 
was totally in favor of that. They distinguish him also, according to Matthew 25 and John 19, that Joseph or Josephus, I'm sorry, Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, but he was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And he was a silent follower or secret follower of Christ. So we have women who are somewhat fearful. We have Joseph who is being very bold. And then we have women again who are somewhat fearful. Following at a distance. You ever think about the courage it took for Joseph to go to Pilate? Here's Joseph going to go to Pilate, request a body of someone who was crucified as an enemy of the Roman government. But he requested it. Also, keep in mind that Joseph would have been in some contrast to the rest of the Sanhedrin. But nevertheless, he goes and requests the body of Christ. He's fulfilling the role of a faithful follower. The description of the release of the body of Christ reflects Pilate's orders. Notice in verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if he was, had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. Apparently, almost an order from the leader to release the body to Joseph. And keep in mind, too, that the body is taken. It is not thrown on a dump heap. Rather, it's placed in a tomb, cut out of rock. And the text also bears testimony to the fact that Christ had died. It was possible for someone to be crucified if their body was taken down. To think someone was dead, they'd be placed in the tomb. And it was customary at times when someone was placed in the tomb, they would go check the tomb to make sure the person was actually dead. Because if they took them down too quick, maybe the person wasn't dead, but appeared to be dead. But the text clearly states in verse 37 of chapter 15, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The centurion confirmed that Jesus had died, and Pilate accepts the fact that Christ had died. So he's placed in the tomb in a linen, and he is left, a stone is rolled into its place. But it's interesting, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So what happens when the Sabbath is over? They go to check it out. And we'll discuss the resurrection more next week. Now, as we think about Mark 15 overall, 
as we reflect on the trial of Christ, he's before the Sanhedrin, he goes before Pilate, he is crucified, he dies, and then he is buried. What's the point of Mark 15? I think Mark 15 is confirming what has already been stated to this point in Mark, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God. It's confirmed in a number of ways by this passage. The centurion confirmed that surely this man was a son of God. It's confirmed by the fact that Jesus gave his life. He didn't just die. He gave his life. His identity, his character, his being is obvious in how he responds. He went to the cross. He was before Pilate. He accepted that. On the cross, he didn't complain. He knew he was giving his life. The beginning of Mark is intimately related to the end of Mark. Mark 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning, the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verse 11, A voice came from heaven, You're my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Mark begins with, Jesus, the Son of God. It ends with Jesus, the Son of God. The beginning of Mark is also intimately related to the purpose of Jesus, as is the end of Mark. His purpose in coming is fulfilled. He was to suffer. He was to die. He was to be buried. He was to come from the dead. And again, chapter 16 brings out his coming from the dead. Where would we be without the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ? We already answered that earlier. And remember that Mark 15, Mark 16, the entire gospel, Mark was written to believers in Rome. How did they hear it? What was Mark trying to do to help the believers in Rome? I think part of it was expect persecution, believers in Rome. Expect death due to following Christ. They're already being persecuted. Mark writes to them to encourage them. Christ was before Pilate. He suffered. He died. He was buried. He came from the dead. Jesus is who he claims to be. Follow him. Stand true. Don't give up. If you die, that's okay. I think also he would be communicating that persecution and death are not the end, but part of the glory of following Christ. Persecution and death are not the end. Notice how I worded that, part of the glory of following Christ. The persecuted church today, do you ever stop to think that they have the privilege of dying for their faith? That's part of the glory of following Christ. The Roman believers, hearing that Christ was before Pilate, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, he came from the dead. Hey, 
This one we follow is who he claims to be. We will remain faithful. I think they also heard be obedient in persecution as Jesus was obedient. Jesus knew his father's will was to go to the cross, to die, to give his life. Roman believers, be obedient as you're being persecuted. So Jay goes before the lions tomorrow. Be faithful, Jay. Bill's going to be a torch for Nero's garden. Be faithful, Bill. I think they also, or Mark is also communicating, Jesus made it possible to go directly to God. The Roman believers would have heard this as the gospel, but it's reemphasized again because when Christ died, it says the veil on the temple was torn. So here they are, getting together as a body of believers. And they say, let's pray together because Jay's turn is coming, Bill's turn is coming, and there's other turns coming. Let's pray that we will be faithful as we go through this time of difficulty. And tied in with all of that, Mark is communicating, Jesus is the Son of God. Follow him in life. Follow him in death. Let's Roman believers. Let's think about a couple ways it might apply to us today. That's Mark chapter 15. Please see the trial and death of Jesus as a substitution, as payment for sin, as obedience, as God's will, as victory, not pain. And I'm not diminishing the pain that Jesus went through. But Mark's gospel, particularly chapter 15, is not about pain. It's about a substitution. The perfect lamb of God being slain. It's about payment for sin. It's about Christ's obedience. It's about God's will. It was God's will for Jesus to be tried by the Sanhedrin. To go before Pilate, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be on the cross. To die. And it is also victory. It is finished. Victory over sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin, Satan, death, all being obtained through the cross. So don't see the cross merely as pain, but substitution, payment for sin, obedience, God's will, and victory. Another possible application, just as people recoiled as Jesus obeyed his Father, many will recoil as we obey our Father. If you want to turn there, you can, but I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The cross is not something that is looked favorably upon particularly in that day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those who are called, God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. The cross, what good can come from a cross? People would have recoiled from the cross. And sometimes as we live for God and just in our day-by-day living with our families, with our jobs as we shop, as we walk with God and experience the Spirit at work in us with Christ as our life, people at times may step back and say, I don't, I don't get it. That is to be expected at times. Another application for us today, as we share with unbelievers, present Christ and his identity, his character, his being, along with his death. Invite them to follow a rejected, crucified Resurrected Jesus, who is the Son of God. His identity, his character is important. The twelve, I guess the eleven, not counting Judas, followed Jesus because they saw who he was. They experienced his identity, his character, his being. And they followed him, not merely what he did. Because remember, they followed him before he died on the cross. Before they understood all that was involved with the death and the resurrection of Christ. So we relate to unbelievers. We live our lives, doors open to share Christ. We talk about God as creator, sin came into the world, and then Christ. Who is Christ? His identity, his character, his being, he's the son of God. He's the one who died. Do you want to follow him? Do you want to experience forgiveness of sins? Do you want to walk with him? And again, I think that is critical as we relate to unbelievers. We're inviting them to follow Christ. And that involves forgiveness of sins. That involves a relationship. That involves an eternity with him in the future. Another application, Jesus knew who he was and knew God's will, thus obedience. As we know who we are in Christ, we can obey Christ and entrust ourselves to him. Christ knew he was the son of God. He entrusted himself to the Father. Believers today, you and I, we know who we are in Christ. We entrust ourselves to Christ, to the Father. And that involves suffering and rejection due to obedience. There may be suffering, there may be rejection at times in our lives. But I am who I am in Christ. 
I will follow. It may mean in relational conflict that we keep in mind who we are in Christ. As you think about Christ and the cross, did he defend himself? No, he was obeying the Father. So you may take some flack sometime for simply obeying God. Someone may not understand. You don't need to defend yourself. You just continue to follow Christ. That may include being made fun of. You may work hard. You may study hard. And others don't understand. Do you ever get told, don't work so hard. You're making the rest of us look too bad. Don't study so hard. You'll get a good grade and the teacher won't give us a curve. You are who you are in Christ. Obey Christ. Work is unto God. Study is unto God. Remember, you are in Christ. Don't be afraid to think differently than the world. The world doesn't always understand us. That's okay. Love them. Care for them. Reach out to them. But be willing to be seen as thinking differently. And at times we don't always love what the world loves. That's okay. We follow Christ. The final application. Jesus died in the most rejected means of that day. No one wanted the cross. Perhaps we will reach people today in the most unlikely means. When I say unlikely, I'm saying that from a world's perspective. Just transforming lives. Just as we walk with God and our lives are changing. Opens doors to point people to Christ. How about hospitality? So a neighbor moves in next door. I'm going to an extreme when I say these things, but maybe not in some cases. They're on drugs. They yell and scream and quarrel with each other. They're just what you call the opposite of you. And you go over and you knock on their door and you say, Hey, can you come over tonight for supper? We want to reach out to you. Come on over for supper. Well, you say their kids might tear the house up. See, that's an unlikely means in our world today, but Scripture talks a lot about hospitality. Again, Christ allowing lives to be transformed and we reach out to others. How about just reaching out to the hurting in a costly way? That kid you know, that teenager that you know, that fellow that you know, that lady that you know, is just not having it together whatsoever. They think differently than you. They respond differently than you. But because of Christ, you reach out to them. They say that you say, they might mess up my life. That's okay. Christ's life got messed up quite often. The Roman believers' lives get messed up quite often. 
I'm not sure we responded the way we should have all the time, but we live in an apartment. It was an old house, two rooms up, or uh, two apartments upstairs. The walls were paper thin. You could go in our bathroom, and you could hear every word that, that was being said in the next apartment. And we realized why that was happening, because the water heater had to be changed. And the water heater was, had a little thin wall built around it. You took that water heater out and took away the wall. There was an opening right into the next apartment. And you think, oh, is that why we could hear so well? But anyway, we had some neighbors move in. Two ladies moved in. This was one set that moved in. And they fought like cats and dogs. The one lady came to our apartment door one day and knocked at the door. And Ruth Ann's mother and my mother were there. And you know, they, was parents or was it Pastor Baker? Pastor Baker was there and he said, we got to evangelize these ladies. <laughs> and the door was open and the lady had all kinds of marks in her face. The other lady had actually just, you know, with her nails. And she requested what she wanted and the door closed and Pastor Baker, the pastor who married us, said, I think I'll leave someone else reach them. <laughs> but they were our neighbors. How did we respond to them? Did we reach out to them with love and grace? Not with an intent that they had to come to Christ in a week or two, but just love them and care for them and give to them in costly ways. That's what we're talking about. Reaching out in ways that might not be recognized as acceptable in our culture, and just being holy in our relationships. Being holy in our relationships. You see what do you mean? A growing holiness. Isn't it great when some unbeliever says to you, I see something in you and your relationships that I don't see in my life. That's Christ at work in us. Where would the world be today without the death, burial, resurrection of Christ? Not in a very good place, as already mentioned. There would be no body of Christ if there was no death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So take encouragement from Christ's trial, his burial, and then his resurrection. That we are discussing something we're very familiar with, but very critical for day-by-day walking with Christ in obedience. And God in his grace gives us the delight of being ambassadors in this world. Of sharing with others Christ and what he can do in their lives. Tonight we're going to begin a study, the joy of life in Christ as we delight in being ambassadors. Ties in with Mark's gospel. It's not going to be a how-to discussion. It's not going to be an in-your-face method. 
but it's going to be sharing to what are we inviting on believers as we share Christ. How do you live well in a dark world? How do you live well when so many people are upset about the coming election? How do you live well with a neighbor who is into evil? We'll touch on how do you love people where they are. People with a messed up background. A young adult who spent time in 15 different foster homes. A young adult who is on drugs. A young adult or an older adult who is relationally challenged. How do you relate to them? How do you love them? We'll seek to recognize people's thirst and then enter into listening. People are thirsty in our world today. How do you recognize that? How do you enter into that? We won't discuss adding something to your life. Well, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It'll be rather living life and buying up open doors that God may provide and seeking to walk through them. I think all of us at times are fearful. How do you respond to a non-believer? We address those fears and just seek to live well. How do you love those who are different? They don't fit into the same mold. When I left... Snyder County, and moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was in for the shock of my life. Never saw people the way they lived in Chattanooga. I needed some help in how to love those people. A neighbor man and his wife who would throw garbage at each other and yell and scream. Mom and Dad never did that. They never yelled and screamed. How do you relate? So discussing, relating to the world in which we live as we seek to be ambassadors. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you for Christ. His trial... His crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. And Father, may we not see that as pain and agony primarily, but as substitution, penalty for sin being paid, as obedience, as victory. As we experience life in Christ, We want to live in a deep, humble dependency upon Christ. And we want to be instrumental in sharing Christ with others. Not in-your-face type of thing, but just living our life and buying up open doors. Give us those opportunities. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.